So tonight, we pick it up in chapter 8, verse 1. They're still at Sinai, but they're about to start moving. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, that of course is his brother, the high priest, and say to him, When you arrange the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so. This is inside the tabernacle. He arranged the lamps to face toward the front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, this workmanship of lampstand was hammered gold from its shaft. Its flowers was hammered work according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses. So he made lampstand. So this is a parenthetical thought to some of the stuff we've covered already, the stuff inside the holy place. Verse 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. Thus you shall do to them, cleanse them, sprinkle water of purification on them, and let them shave all their body, and let them wash their clothes, so make themselves clean. Then let them take a young bull with its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, and you shall take another young bull as a sin offering. And you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall gather together the whole congregation of the children of Israel, So you shall bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel shall lay hands on the Levites. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering from the children of Israel, that they may perform the work of the Lord. Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls, and you shall offer one as a sin offering, and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord, to make atonement for the Levites. And you shall stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons, and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord, Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. And after that, the Levites shall go into the service of the tabernacle of meeting. So you shall cleanse them and offer them like a way of offering, for they are wholly given to me from among the children of Israel. I've taken them for myself. Instead of all who open the womb, the firstborn of all the children of Israel, for all the firstborn of the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I struck all the firstborn land of Egypt, I sanctified them to myself. I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work for the children of Israel in the tabernacle meeting and to make atonement for the children of Israel that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary, which is the tabernacle meeting. So here is the instruction from the Lord where now officially we've seen the ordination and the consecration the beginning of ministry for the priesthood back in Leviticus for the priests and the descendants of Aaron but now we're seeing the rest of the Levites come in so here they come all these Levites thousands of them and they represent the firstborn switch and so instead of the firstborn of every child born there in the nation of Israel particularly when they came out of Egypt during that first year they're going to get the commission and the calling. So again, there were 12 tribes. God separated the one tribe, Levi, to himself to serve him. Then he took the remaining 11, split the tribe of Joseph in half between his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, keeps the 12 for organization and camping purposes and how they organized and how the tribes were divided when they went into the promised land. And then the Levites are forever separated for 1,500 years until Christ comes. They are forever separated to serve the Lord. And it... It was a great opportunity, a great calling. If you're born a Levite, you just had great privileges that you were called to serve the Lord. And we saw earlier that in the census of the Levites, when they did the census, they counted everyone over one month old, and then they counted the men uh, over 30, that their, their commissioning for service was 30 to 50. They had, we talked, we had a whole topical study on it, the sweet spot of service from the age of 30 to 50. And that's the Levites. And so here they are. Now it's happening. So there's been talk about things. There's been planning about things. There's been organizing and preparing. And now this is, this is the detail. 
this is who they are. This is what they do. They're a separate. They're they're serving instead of the firstborn, and they're going to do this for the next fifteen hundred years. That is amazing when you really think about that timeline. Whenever I think about that much time, that's a good chunk of human history. And they're going to do this until Christ comes. And they're going to serve, and they're an offering. So first, they are brought forward, and all of Israel recognizes their position. So the whole nation, the other 12 tribes, they like lay hands and say, we agree with the Lord, we bear witness with the Lord, you are serving the Lord instead of the firstborn of us, you get the call to service. See, they're exempt from military draft, right? Remember that? The draft conscription was, you know, the 20 years and above for every other male in the 12, 12 tribes, including the 11th tribe subdivided, Joseph becoming Manasseh and Ephraim. But the Levites, they don't go to war. That's not them. They're not in conscription. They're not drafted. So all these other people, the 600,000 soldiers, right, from the 12 tribes, 602,000, they're all raising their hands, laying hands. You are exempt. This is what you're called to do. And they're in agreement. They're in unity. There's great unity for their calling and their sanctification. And they're actually compared to a wave offering of the Lord, which is pretty cool. And then they accept that, and then they, then the Levites lay their hands on the offerings, the two bulls, which, of course, are the, uh, the sin and the burnt offering, and they have that because they have sinned. So that's being straightened out. Like, we recognize they're sinners. They're not going to be perfect people in their service to the Lord. And like everyone else, they need to be forgiven. There needs to be blood. There needs to be substitution. And so, hey... You're doing this instead of all the firstborn of all of our tribes, and then you're sinners like us, so you're now going to confess your sins and lay hands on the offerings in, in place of you, and now you're going to be ready. And God reminds them, why are we doing this? Because remember, we did a whole application on this a couple weeks ago that the same time that God judged the firstborn of Egypt, he consecrated the firstborn of Israel. Isn't that amazing? Like, you're either fully justified or you're fully condemned. Jesus said he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but the world's already condemned. But he came into the world to save the world. You are fully condemned or fully justified. We're either walking in darkness or walking in light. And the first chapter of the Bible draws a distinction of light and darkness, literally. The first day and the first night, Genesis. And then the, the first chapter of the Gospel of John runs a parallel to that. But the light and the darkness is moral light and darkness. Jesus is light and him is the life of men. But men loved darkness. John was a witness of the light, but he was not that light. And then, of course, later on, Jesus says he's the light of the world. There is distinction. And even recently, I I talk with people in the body of Christ who want the church to be white or darkness and light. They want it to be muddled together. But God's character is not muddled. He's morally light. God is light and him is no darkness at all. He's not darkness. So people who say they're Christians and walk in moral darkness, you can't have unity with that. There is distinction. God struck the condemned, the firstborn of the condemned. They were not of the promises and they were struck down. And the ones who are redeemed, he sanctified the firstborn of the justified. And humanity always wants to find this middle ground where you mix the two together and they don't mix. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And we have all the promises, yes, yes, and amen in Jesus, or we have none of the promises. It's not like I have 100% of the promises of Jesus, or some of us here have 100% of the promises of Jesus, and some people at another church have 50% of the promises because they just don't really believe the whole Bible or that Jesus is the only way. It doesn't work like that. Either 
The firstborn of Egypt is condemned and not under the blood and struck by the angel of death, or the firstborn of Israel is sanctified and set apart because they're people of covenant and promise. We can't have unity as much as we want unity at all expense. The Bible's full of division from chapter 1 of Genesis to the book of Revelation. What's defiled is outside, what is sanctified and pure is inside. You realize that? There's a big difference between the firstborn of Egypt and the firstborn of Israel. And generations and societies try and merge them together. Oh, the firstborn of Egypt and the firstborn of Israel are one and the same. No, they are not. So there's a very special purpose for these people. And we need to understand there is distinction. But notice what they're called to do. They are a gift to Aaron and his sons. They are a gift to Aaron and his sons. Verse 19. Isn't that, what, what neat terminology. It's not like, hey, they're the laborers. When you think about getting a job, you know, like, are you going to be a gift to your business? Like, so if you go to Starbucks orientation for a couple days and, you, you know, you start at Starbucks and you're working at Starbucks at Bristol and, you know, Warner or whatever. And, you, you know, you, are you going to be a gift to the boss? Are you going to be a burden to the boss? Are you going to show up on time? Are you do the job right? Are you can give sass? Are you can give attitude? Are you faithful? Do you, do you take pride in making a latte or do you just do it because whatever and you don't care? You know what I'm saying? Like, when you think about working, are you a gift or you're not? Like, are, do you come early and do the job right? Do you leave when the job's done? We all understand this. Some people in your life are a gift to you and some people are a trial and a testing to you, especially in the, in the, the idea of employment. They were to be a gift. They were to be a gift. So think about this. As human beings, they were to be a gift to other human beings who are called in ministry. And when you look at the book of Acts, what do you find? You find God separating people, men, women, for ministry, and he surrounds them with other people who are gifts to them. Barnabas was a gift to Paul. Timothy was a gift to Paul. Ariostarchus was a gift to Paul. You just find throughout the Bible, the women who ministered to Jesus were a gift to Jesus and the apostles as recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke. In the New Testament, what we find is people who are gifts to other people. They bless them, they compliment them, they facilitate their ministry and their calling and their gifting. And of course, in the last year, I've lost my mother, and my father-in-law just recently. I almost lost my dad recently, and one of my good friends, Pastor Roger Moyer from Calvary Chapel, Carlsbad, stepped into eternity just a month ago. And so as I'm moving toward my 60th birthday, I've been very contemplative, very reflective, and very meditative about where I'm at in life. Because, you know, 6-0 is a big one, right? I mean, those have hit 6-0. Obviously, it's a big one. I mean, 7 has got to be a big one, too, but they just get bigger as you go, right? Like, I mean, 50 is bigger than 40, and 30, 40 was bigger than 40, so I, I, or whatever, you know, like, I don't know, like 60, just, it's like, it's like that, the signs for a rest stop coming up where all the things are, you know, like, when you come into Barstow and there's that one exit right away, it's a Starbucks, Chipotle, you know, the Chevron, everything's like, it's like, man, that's 60, that's, you can't miss that one, that's a big off-ramp right there. It's a big show. And I've been very reflective and made it meditative about 60, just, in this year of clarification, right? Hasn't the, year be, hasn't the year made things more clear and more simple for you? I hope it has. Eric and I were praying before service, and we were talking about, like, we've grown. I've, I've grown. I don't have a TV. I don't watch TV. 
I don't want to watch TV. Every Sunday when Timmy gets his heart ripped out as a Charger fan, I was like, I didn't see it. I don't care. <laughs> My life has become a lot less distracted. There's a lot of good things for me personally that have come from COVID, which is clarity, deeper Bible studies, um, even singing tonight, right? When we're told we couldn't sing, don't you sing differently? I just have to say that. Don't you sing differently? I mean, I hope you do. If you don't really sing much, but don't you like follow the words more closely or something? When we're told by a politician that we can't sing to Jesus in the church, and I say I'm willing to go to jail by singing, that means a lot to me. I get in here sooner, I sing, and I don't check out during songs. Like, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jail for singing. I'm going to sing. That's how I look at it. So I've been very contemplative and very reflective. And in this process, I've thought about people that are a blessing. Now, of course, I should be thinking, am I a blessing? I want to be a blessing to you. I want to be a blessing to Pastor Garrett and to Deacon Fred and Eric. And I want to be a blessing to all of you. I want to be a blessing to Joanne Burns, right? I want to be a blessing to all of you. I want to be a blessing. I want to compliment the work of the Lord in your life. I want to build up the work of the Lord in your life. I want to be a wave offering and a gift to you as the pastor of this church. But I've been thinking about this. And someone pointed this out. They, they said churches are too clicky, that churches are clicky. And that was an interesting thing. And then it was, the response to this I saw was that Jesus had 12 that he was very close with, and three of the 12 were, were closer than the other 12. You have very few true friends in life. You do. You have very few true friends in life. And now there's people you might see, not see for years, and you'd have immediate fellowship with them and, and a good time with them. I, there's plenty of people like that. But 30 years past beginning in ministry, I've reflected on who was with me and still connect with me from 33 years ago at Calvary Chapel Vista and the drug and alcohol ministry. I've thought about who from Virginia, all those people, all those people. At one time, the church was almost 400 people, all those people that I loved, people that were deacons, people that I loved and baptized. How many of them is there still a reciprocated relationship? And then I thought about Vermont. And I thought about Calvary Costa Mesa and the worship generation. And I thought about us in 17 years as a church. And it got me thinking there are very few people that are that wave offering that come from the Lord to be a blessing to your life. And I think we need to recognize them. I think we need to value them. We need to esteem them highly and bless them and reciprocate that. Of course, for me, my wife is the ultimate gift that God's given me in, in, in my life. Of course, our, we love our children dearly. And those of you with multiple children, you know they're, they're kind of different. Some gift you in other ways than the other ones. Let the reader understand. Wink, wink. But they're all a gift, aren't they? A big Andy's room welcome. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, I texted someone today, my good friend Eddie down at Calvary Vista, and I just said, you know, Eddie, I want you to know I've been thinking about stuff, and you're a true friend. I said, you sang at my wedding 33 years ago. You did worship at the drug and alcohol ministry 30 years ago. You have always been kind to me. You've always had a good word. You've helped me with my taxes for over 20 years. As my kids began to file tax returns, you did their tax returns joyfully. You've always given good counsel. You've always been there. Your wife was the doula in delivering our first grandkid, Zippy, into the world. I think that's the correct word. Uh, the, the nurse, you know, assistant nurse there. And, and I was like, 
Because I've been meditating about Vista. Who from 33 years ago, because I'm almost 60, who from that ministry of three years of our life, who is still connected in our life and cares about us and prays for us? Very few. And Eddie Hill has been a wave offering to our life. And I thanked him today as I prayed all day and thought about people. And this is not just today. It's been coming this way. So I want to encourage us. Think about the people who are a wave offering to you from the Lord. Who are the Levites that God's given you as Aaron the high priest? Who are those people that he's blessed you with to encourage you and build you up and hold up your arms and lift your chin when your head is down? Thank God for those people and praise God for those people. And you younger people, you might not know yet because it takes a while for the book to be written. But as you get farther into the, the novel, like War and Peace, page 700, this book's getting written. It may keep giving for a while, but there's a lot of story that's played out recognize those people and thank the Lord for those people and try and be those people for them. Of course, obviously, I think of people like Jeremy Foster. I just love Jeremy so much. I miss him so much. We have Brian Jameson right down the road, you know, so close to Brian, did his daughter's funeral. We've been through so much together. Sam's great. All the pastors are great. All the deacons are great. Identify and recognize those gifts to you, those people. Because the gifts aren't the finances. The gifts aren't the possessions. The gifts are the people who build you up in your upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Recognize them, bless them, and appreciate them. So then in verse 20, thus Moses and Aaron, all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so the children of Israel did to them. And the Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes. Then Aaron presented them like a, a wave offering before the Lord, and Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. After the Levites went to do, do in to do their work at the tabernacle meeting before Aaron and his sons, as the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is what pertains to the Levites. From 25 years old and above, one may enter to perform service in the work of tabernacle meeting. And at the age of 50 years, they must cease performing this work and shall work no more. They may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle meeting to attend to needs, but they themselves shall do no work. Thus, you shall do to the Levites regarding their duties. Well, here's some interesting insight that goes to what we've already learned about the Levites, right? The sweet spot is 30 to 50. But we find out here tonight that you could actually begin your apprenticeship at 25. That's pretty awesome. So it's like your residency as a doctor. You get five years of training. So you get to follow Pop to work when you're 25, and for five years you learn pieces of wood, three, four, five, and six, go on that cart. And you watch how Dad does it, and maybe you kind of get your feet wet a little bit, you know, maybe let you drive. Like when Timmy was on the tugboat, he's the third mate, but every once in a while, five-hour shift, coming from Akatan back to Dutch Harbor, middle of the night, captain's like, hey, Tim, you want to drive? He's licensed. Drive the tug in the Straits of Alaska, right? A little bit of training there, right? A little bit of training. He's third mate, but he's, he's, driving, he's driving the tug with pulling the, the cargo barge. It's longer than a football field, three stories high with all those crates. And there you are, getting your apprenticeship training. Woo-hoo, tugboat Timmy, whoop, whoop, right? <laughs> That's Timmy. Now, I want to go back to the young people. Again, this reminds us God is now recognizing something special between the age of 25 and 30. Now, it is the priesthood. It is contextual. But 
again, you've seen enough, it's Timmy who told us recently, you know, I've got my full brain capacity now. We're like, really? He goes, yes, men's brains are fully developed at 25. Oh, well, all right. Can we expect more? You know, like, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's a scientific fact, Dad. Great. All right. Let's, let's, let's see it in action here now. Rock and roll. Let's get this party started. 25 to 30, the young ladies here, the younger men, I want you to think about this, 25 to 30, moving toward the sweet spot, preparing yourself for what lies ahead. Talk with my son, Luke, in Colorado. They're very involved at Calvary Chapel Aurora now. He's like, Dad, I just, you know, Luke's one of the top Bible studies in sixth grade and eighth grade, led worship at Calvary with Bobby leading him there in the worship team at Calvary 10 years ago at Calvary School. And Luke's just all about ministry now. And he's, you know, he works for Hyundai, as most of you know, and he works for the Midwest region there. But he and his wife and their family, and he's like, man, I just, I feel that call to ministry. I'm going to start making myself available for ministry. He's like, yeah, he's coming in toward 25. He's not there yet, but it's like, start moving toward it, son. Start moving toward it. Because if you're serving the Lord in your 20s in the body of Christ, you'll probably be serving the Lord in your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, and your 60s. Then we have the sweet spot, 30 to 50. But did you catch the older people now? It's back to us. Isn't it always about the older people? I'm sorry. I just, you know, it's my worldview. It's 60, 59. But did you notice that if you're past 50, what do you get to do? You still get to minister. Did you catch that? See, we didn't see that before. Like, I thought, like, hey, 50, beat it, pops. Get out of here, you know. Go buy a Winnebago and go to Moral Rock or something, you know. Beat it. But actually, no. The Lord's like, no, no, listen, you can't do the work, but you can do the ministry. Now, I'm not sure what those distinctions are, but you can still be around. You know, like, you're not the senior pastor anymore, but like, hey, you know, like, hey, and so they can look to you, some young guy that's got it all figured out, but it's like, hey, Pops, like, have we got this situation over here? It's like, oh, yeah, let me help you with that one. Can you come with me? No, that's, you're doing the work. You've got to confront that. But I'll give you some counsel for it. <laughs> See how it works? Yeah. So the wisdom of 20 years between 30 and 50 learned benefit the next generation. So the future generation is getting trained at 25 to 30, but not fully engaged. It's apprenticeship. 30 to 50 is a sweet spot, but 50 plus is still ministering and they're around. And so it's the older men encouraging the younger men. It's the older women building up the younger women in the body of Christ. See, there's nothing new under the sun. The, old, the younger people have strength and vision and passion and dreams, and they should move toward them. And then you fulfill them. And then the older people, as they've got all that experience and youth has given way to wisdom, then that wisdom turns around and benefits the younger people. And that's how we have to look at it. That's how I'm looking at it. I want to take all that I've learned in trial and error and 33 years of ministry and just pour it into anyone that's willing to listen to me to the benefit of their ministry. That's what I want to do. That's what we should want to do. So I like that. It's, we'll call that the prelude ministry of preparation, your apprenticeship, 25 to 30, and we'll call it the afterglow ministry for 50 plus. All right? You still can't get your Denny's discount, but you do have the afterglow, and you can still hang around the tabernacle what's going on. You're still allowed in the, well, as they say in sports, you're still allowed in the clubhouse because you're alumni, right? That's what it's like. All right, chapter 9. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the first month of the second year, after they'd come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month, at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all of its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. So Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover, and they, shall, and they kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the first month, at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. Now, 
There were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse. They had touched the dead body. So they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. And those men said to him, look, we became defiled by a human corpse. But why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the children of Israel? Good question. And Moses said to them, verse 8, stand still that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Well, we got to stop there for a minute. There's two things I like about this right away, that these guys, look, somebody's got to deal with dead bodies in Israel. I mean, 2.5 million people, it's like a corner, you know? Yeah, like most of us don't deal with dead bodies, but dead bodies happen every day, everywhere, right? And you have an industry that deals with dead bodies. And so 2.5 million people that are camping out, people are going to be passing away. And somehow these guys were involved in dealing with a dead body, that doesn't mean they're bad people. <laughs> they want to they partake of Passover. And that's kind of cool because sometimes we, we might think that we're not worthy of something, hey, beat it, whatever. But like, I like how they, they want to do Passover. Now, we've already been told that you're unclean. Remember Leviticus? Remember those chapters? Like, hey, that's unclean. That's unclean. Right? Like the different things that the Bible says, like those chapters and chapters. In fact, I, you kind of blush a little bit when we read them outside. It was kind of good as outside because you couldn't see me in the shadow of the tree. But uh, unclean, unclean, unclean. You touch the dead body. That's unclean. But to be physically unclean, would that make you spiritually unclean? No. And so you have to appreciate that they're like, well, wait a second, like we really, we believe God's word. We believe, we, you know, we walked through the Red Sea too. Like we, we had Passover back in Egypt. We, we want to have Passover. So they, they go to Moses and so you like their persistence because it gets like, hey, it's just not for us. That's just not, we don't get to go to that service. You know, like I've said before, there's many people who don't, they just needed one reason not to be at church and they got plenty of them in 2020, Right. If you just needed one reason not to come to church, because you're just kind of like, eh, you know, I can take it or leave it. Hey, listen, you got your reasons. You got lots of them. In fact, I can give you reasons if you want them. But if you really want to be at church, then you got your reasons to want to be at church. And you're willing to accept risk-reward. Now, some people, it's better they're not at church because they might be more at risk for various reasons. But we would have thought that during flu season anyways. And the numbers show us it's about the same. And that's okay. No one's condemning for that. I'm just saying... If, if you're just kind of like, yeah, give or take on church, then guess what? You touch a dead body and you can't go to Passover, you don't care. But if you really care and you really do want to be at church and you really do want to sing and you do want to be with God's people in the house of the Lord, then you're going to go to Aaron and Moses and go like, hey, man, listen, I realize we touched a dead body, but like we really want to participate in Passover. Can, can you talk to like... Yahweh, you know, like the big man, whatever you like, you know, hey, can you just go in that little tent you go in and right? And Moses got to give Moses credit. He's like, well, you know, like this is a stumper. <laughs> you know, we've seen some doozies in a year out here in the desert, but I haven't seen this one yet. I got guys that touch a dead body when I pass over. Okay, I'll, I'll go in right now. I'm going to go in the tent right now. Stay here. I'll be right back. I'm going to go in and find out what Yahweh says, because the Lord spoke with Moses as face to face. We already read that about Moses in his tabernacle, his little tent, right? The, the boss's office, right? He's with the Lord. So he comes out. So he goes in. He's like, and that's smart, too, because 
Moses doesn't say, hey, no, look, look, the law is the law, right? Like we could say that, hey, the law is the law. The letter of the law is touch a dead body, go home, beat it, scram. Like you could say that. Well, hey, did you not read, did you not hear that part about Leviticus last month? You touch a dead body, you're outside the camp. Yeah, but they didn't say anything about Passover. Like, but some people are like that. Some people are like, no, of course this is the right answer. It's like this. They don't want to be like that either. Moses is the lawgiver, but he knows who gave him the law. So Moses goes in there. So let's find out what happens when Moses goes in there and talks to the Lord. Verse 10. Huh? Excuse me, verse 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If any one of you or your posterity offspring is unclean because of a corpse, a dead body, or is far away on a journey. So God expands it. God's like, let me tell you how this really works. Or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover on the 14th day of the second month at twilight. Ah, okay. They may keep it. They show, it's like a makeup time for a test in college. If you missed the main test, there's a makeup day. It's makeup day for Passover. Isn't that cool? Bet you never knew that. God gave them a makeup day exactly one month later to make it up, you know, your SAT or whatever it is. It's a makeup test. It's a makeup day. It's a makeup driver's test, whatever you want it to be. It's a makeup. It's exactly one month later. And then it says, they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So it's a makeup Passover, but it's exactly the same as the original Passover. Exactly one month later, but exactly the same. Verse 12, they shall leave none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. Now the Lord's going to add to this, but... Moses, there's more. You need to know more. So listen. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey and ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. And if a stranger dwells among you and would keep the Lord's Passover, he must do so according to the rite of the Passover and according to its ceremony. You shall have one ordinance, both for the stranger and the native of the land. Wow, this is awesome. Like the guys touch the dead body and their situation brings about clarity for other situations to help guide, lead, and direct God's people in the worship and partaking of fellowship with the Lord as he's prescribed it. So you got to love that the first thing is good news. Yep, there's, there's plan B for the guys who touch dead bodies. There's plan B. Hey, you can come back exactly one month from now and have Passover. Isn't that cool? Don't you like that God is a God of second chances or second opportunities? So often in life we feel like we missed this, you missed it. And some things you miss and you do miss it. But it's like how the Lord, he really is the God of the second chance. He is the God of new opportunities. He's the God of fresh starts. Because as the Bible says, his mercies are new every morning. And this tells us a lot about the heart of God. God's not, he's not, I mean, God is absolute. And we even see that with the, the second and the third person in just a moment. But for this first person, the person who was on a trip or his buddy who touched a dead body, they can come back a month later. And God's like, he's not, he's not like, hey, you know, this is the way it is in my universe. And you missed it. Wait a year. No, God's like, hey, people touch dead bodies. And sometimes people are on a journey. Life happens. It's a human experience. And if that happens, here's the makeup exactly one month later. But when you do the makeup, that's all you're changing is the day, not the content. Did you get that? The day is different by a month, but the content 
is exactly the same because the Passover speaks of Jesus. So we're not going to change the type of Jesus that Jesus is the type in Passover, but we'll, we'll be flexible. You know, the Bible, the Bible shows us this. The Bible shows us how to be uncompromising and how to be flexible. We see that with the apostles in the book of Acts and the Pauline letters. There's, you know, for example, a circumcision. Paul refused to have Titus circumcised because in the context of Titus's circumcision, it represented that that's how, what he needed to do to be saved. And Paul's like, you don't need to be circumcised to be saved. That's going backwards to the Mosaic Covenant. That's a sign of the old covenant. We're not going to take Gentiles who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, well, now you have to be a Jew. You're saved by grace, but now you got to go be circumcised and keep the law. That's what Acts chapter 15 is all about. We're not going backwards. So Paul refused to capitulate, compromise on the circumcision of Titus because of its doctrinal understanding of what that circumcision would mean. But when it came to circumcising Timothy, he's like, yeah, I'm good with that. We should circumcise him. Well, which is it? Well, they're different situations. We're not saved by works, circumcision in the law. We're saved by grace. Thus, there's no need to circumcise Titus to prove he's saved. We don't make him a Jew so he can be a Christian. He's a Christian. But as far as Timothy goes, because he has a Jewish background, when we go into the synagogues, they're going to expect him to be circumcised. So we become all things to all men that we might lead them to Christ. And therefore, Timothy, it's got to happen. Because it's going to be a stumbling block everywhere we go in ministry. You see, the ability to recognize not compromising here, but being flexible here. And that's wisdom. That's why James tells us, if we lack wisdom, let him ask of the Lord and he'll give it to us. Let us not ask double-minded. And it's tricky to know when to be firm, uncompromising of the Lord. Having done all, stand to be steadfast. Or, But we don't want to be stiff-necked, right? Or stubborn. So standing and stubborn are next to our neighbors and they don't have a fence. So we've got to make sure we know that when we're standing, it's the Lord and we're not being stubborn and we're in the wrong piece of property. And flexible and compromise our next door neighbors without a fence as well. Flexible is grace properly applied with wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Compromise is just licentiousness with a cheap grace. And their next door neighbors like, hey, we're being flexible over here. Cheap grace is like, hey, come on over here. I'll show you real flexibility. Come to our church. No, don't go there. Stay out of that yard. But they don't have fences. Why? Because we need to hear the voice of the Lord. We need to rightfully divide the word of truth. We need to depend upon the Lord. In some cases, it's this. In some cases, it's that. And so there's a flexibility here. You can come a month later. It's all good. I know it wasn't in the original instructions when you came out of Egypt on the 10th plague. I realize it wasn't in the book of Leviticus, but I'm giving you insight here. It's, it's flexible, the human experience. But what's firm is you don't change what the Passover is and how you do it. And by the way, even as one person would esteem it greatly to do it a month later because they're on a trip or they touch a dead body, there's also a person who's in the covenant, has all the blessings and doesn't appreciate it and doesn't understand it. And he, and he or she is flippant toward the promises and the things that are taught for us in the Passover. And they don't care. That person who could care less about the Passover and they're Jewish and they're people of the covenant, they're cut off from the people. Because you exist for me. And if you don't value the blood, you don't value the lamb, you don't value your deliverance from Egypt and slavery and bondage in the house of Pharaoh in Egypt, then what are you doing in this covenant with me? Go live among the Assyrians. Go live among your Babylonians or the Egyptians. You're in the wrong house. So God says, someone might esteem it so much 
they've touched a dead body, they still want to come. And some people have everything going for them. They don't care about church. They don't want to give thanks. They don't want to give blessings. They might be Christian in name. They might be Christian in denomination. They might be Christian in all sorts of things. Like someone say, can't all the Christians get along? Why is the church so divided in 2020? Because the church was divided in 2019. Because truth and lies divide. And because the spirit and the flesh divide. Because right and wrong divide. Jesus talked about divisions. It's not unity at all costs. What fellowship has the cup of the Lord with the table of demons, 2 Corinthians says? There is distinction. Don't bring Jesus to the table of demons. He's at the cup of the Lord that represents his blood shed for us. What fellowship has Yahweh with Molech and Emphasite? None. None. God called them to tear down the statues and the idols of Molech and Emphasite. None. You see, God is absolute. He's flexible and he'll meet us where we're at. Jesus said, the one that comes to me, I will no means cast out. It's like the foreigner, person number three. Hey, if they want to partake, they can partake. But this way you partake through Jesus Christ and by his blood and being born again. I will by no means cast out the person who comes to me. But you will come to me because I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me, is what Jesus said. So he's all-inclusive but very exclusive. We don't come on our terms. We come on his terms. And we bow the knee. And we give praise and adoration because he saves us from our sins. And if we don't call sin, sin, how can we be saved from sin? And if we don't recognize what we need to repent of, how can we get right to be saved? Because the first thing Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark is, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So how can we repent if we don't see the sin? And if we say, Lord, heal our land, how can he heal our land if we don't admit what sin is? It's a desperate time. But it still comes back to the person I see in the mirror. Because I'll be gone soon enough. Some of you might live to see another 60 years on this planet. I won't. Nor do I really want to, to be honest. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm not a doom and gloomer. I'm as optimistic as can be. Hey, before is a common moniker this year. I used to say the best is yet to come, right? Before the current president used that term, who was using it? Come on now. Pastor Joy used that term 17 years ago when we started this church. Brian Jameson still uses the term. Now, someone used it before I did, obviously. The best is yet to come, not because who's going to be in the White House or running this government. The best is yet to come because Jesus Christ is on the throne, and he's coming in glory, and his kingdom is coming. So we'll give it up right there, yeah? But sin is sin. And, and the Lord says, hey, this guy, these guys that are in the land, they, hey, this Passover was kind of interesting. Hey, you want to partake? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you can partake when we all partake, but this is where we do it. Not how you do it in Syria or in Phoenicia or, you know, <laughs> over there in Italy. Like, this is how we do it because it's the way God said it. There's a firmness with a flexibility. Let God be true and every man a liar. Now, the last part of the text, verse 15. Now, on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony from evening until morning. It was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day, the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, that the children of Israel would journey. In the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey. At the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. 
So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain in camp. And according to the command of the Lord, that they would journey. So it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning. When the cloud was taken the next morning, in the morning, then they would journey. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year, the cloud remained above the tabernacle. The children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. And they kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Well, it's, it's moving time. It's time to get this caravan going. And now we're led by the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. The Lord was guiding them. We'll see more of this when we get into chapter 10 next week. And the Lord was guiding them. It's so unique, so special to have the cloud and the fire. Like literally, they looked at a cloud and a fire and it was the presence of the Lord, and that's how, it got, how God guided them in this wilderness wandering for the next 38, 38 and a half years, 30, 39 years. Now, of course, we're guided by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will lead us in all truth, and he'll guide us in the way to go, and he'll give us understanding and discernment and all these things that the Holy Spirit gives a believer. It is interesting, though, when you think about this, because it's reaffirmed over and over in these verses, particularly in verse 18. It says, at the command of the Lord, the children would journey, get on the move, and the command of the Lord, they would camp. And then again, it says, identical, the same thing, verse 23, at the command of the Lord, they remained encamped, and they, they, at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. So think about this. There's a time when the Lord says, rise up, and, you know, we're on the move, and there's a time when the Lord says, wait and stay. And it's kind of funny, because maybe we can all relate to this, because sometimes the Lord tells you to wait, and you want to go. Sometimes you want to wait, and he wants you to go. Some people are more prone to just like waiting, like wait, 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 wait. Like how long are you going to wait? Like when are you just going to get moving? And then some people are like, go, 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 go. Like when are you going to stop and just catch your breath? And with the Lord, there's both. There, you know, of course, the Great Commission is, is go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So there's a going element in the human experience. And yet there were told by Isaiah, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. There is a time to go, and there's a time to wait. In general life experiences, we know that. There's a time to go talk to the boss. There's a time not to talk to the boss. There's a time to go back to school. There's a time not to go back to school. There's a time to return to work. There's a time not to return to work. It really is like Ecclesiastes 3, right? There's a time to plant. There's a time to uproot what's planted. There's a time of peace. There's a time of war. There's a time of love. There's a time of hate. The human experience brings us everything. There's a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gather stones, and a time to scatter stones. And how can we know sometimes? Well, again, if we're totally depending upon the Lord and really seeking the Lord, we'll hear his voice, the still small voice will say, wait. And the still small voice will say, go. And there's times we're all together. We've been through this together in 2020. I'm going to remember your faces, I hope, till the end uh, of the journey from the year 2020, inside, outside, Everything, mask, no mask, I'm, I'm going to remember it because there's been a time when we wait. We've all just been waiting on the Lord. I wanted to go to Russia, and the Lord's like, you're not going to Russia this year. Maybe next year. As I say, next year, Jerusalem, right? Maybe. But there's a time to wait, and there's a time to go. So I just remind all of us of that. 
we've had a timeout year. The year as a whole has been a wait year. Not that we're not doing th things and going forward for the kingdom. In fact, before service, again, Eric and I were praying about what the vision is for Worship Generation 2021. I mean, I got a day planner now for 2021. Like, did you get yours yet? I'm like, hey, 100-day plan, I need a new day planner. I'm usually 100 days out, right? I've got worship booked through the, you know, January 2nd, but after that, I got, I got to get my act together. 2021's coming, and who knows what it'll hold for us. Maybe for you it's wait, maybe it's go. Every year is its own identity. Each personal calling is its own calling. The Lord guide us all and help us to finish strong, though, huh, in these last two months, and to trust in him. He's on the throne this morning. He'll be on the throne tomorrow. And on your last day, when you breathe your last, he'll be on the throne. And um, if we're half as lucky as Stephen, the martyr, we'll see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, welcoming us home.